We are glad that you are here. I have a couple of infomercials for you before we start. Um, next week is December already. Can you believe it? So, as our custom is, uh, we will see trees around the, the church, and they will have these on them. Remember these? These are our red envelopes, and this is our opportunity uh, to insert an end-of-the-year offering in them for the church. Uh, maybe sometimes people, you know, you got a little behind on your offering throughout the year, or God blessed you throughout the year, and you want to give extra to the church as a gift for God's work. It always helps us catch up in our budget. So we thank you in advance for picking up a red envelope and uh, helping the church and its mission. I, I will say, um, we are very blessed in this church. And we have some big expenses coming up. Some of those expenses are a new roof. Did you know that? Did you know we were working on that? We have a new roof project coming up. And let me just say this. God has blessed us to have some resources to be able to cover that without having to fundraise. That was five or six people saying amen. We can buy a new roof, have a new roof put on without having to fundraise. That's good news. So that means, that means that the more offerings we get, we can put into ministry in reaching our community. Amen? So God has covered the essentials for us so we can fund the mission. Isn't that good news? Uh, and a couple of those things is, I brought a doll up with me this morning. Not because it's like a security blanket or anything. Uh, how many of you saw released on Facebook this week our Amazon wish list for the Family Resource Center? A few of you did see that. Some of those gifts are already coming in. How many of you know what the wish list is? Oh, like five or six. Come on, people. We talk about this all the time. Come on. We are opening a family resource center. It's going to be filled with wonderful things for families to do together. When children open that door, they're going to go, wow, I can't believe there's a place like this in my community. Amen? They are going to want to stay for hours because our families are hurting here in Charlotte County. Our county is a mess when it comes to families. Some of you I know kind of travel down from the north. We love you. We love that you're here. But you need to know that this community is a mess when it comes to families. Our, our county is the third highest county in the entire state of Florida for child abuse. Children are twice as likely to be removed from their home due to substance abuse in Charlotte County. 52% of kindergarten-aged children are not ready to start school in Charlotte County. We have a huge problem on our hands here in Charlotte County. And so we are renovating our community services building to be a family resource center. This is a place where kids can learn, grow, play, have a great time, and they are not left there by their parents. Their parents stay there to play with them which gives us an opportunity as volunteers and staff to do what? Build, build relationships. That's exactly right, because that's what families desperately need. So we need your prayers for that project. We need your donations. So one thing that we did is we went on Amazon, we made a wish list. And so the more toys we purchase, the, more, is, the less money we will have to put into the toys the more money we can put into the project for resources, for parent education, for construction, and those sorts of things. Does that make sense? So use all these holiday sales to go on our wish list. If you, don't get our, if you haven't seen our wish list, there's a couple places. One is our church Facebook page. That's one place for it. The second place is your all church email has a link to it. There is a link to it in your all-church email. You can go there. I think there's going to be other ways you can access it in coming weeks as well. Um, so have fun. There's a lot of really fun stuff on there to buy. And not only will this reach one kid, this will reach hundreds of children over the years in our Family Resource Center. So have fun. Buy some great stuff. And uh, know that it's going to do a lot of good in our community. Amen? And if you have any questions, see me after church. I can help you get to the, the wish list so that you know where it is. The last thing I want to mention is that we have a couple of really exciting programs coming up. 
This week, or this month, this year, Christmas falls on Sabbath. And sometimes some of you go to, you know, Christmas Eve services and things, and it's on a Friday night. I wanted our church to have something on Friday night on Christmas Eve. Amen? So we're going to have a Christmas Eve program. Some of the churches you go to have candle lighting services. We're going to have a communion service. And possibly a baptism on Christmas Eve. Isn't that wonderful? And so we're going to have some songs. Uh, we'll have a communion service. It'll be a nice little intimate time together as our church family. So that will be Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas, we have a special program led by our youth. Now, some of you have seen Christmas plays and things. We're not going to get that elaborate. But how many of you have ever seen a shadow play? Oh, you're in for a treat then. A shadow play is where we will put up a screen up here on the platform, and our kids will get behind the screen, and it will be backlit, and they will be posed in different scenes from the story of the birth of Jesus. And we'll have music going along with it. Some of our members will be sharing some musical gifts and talents. And it's going to be a really wonderful way to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Amen? So lots of great stuff happening. When the sign says a lot to be excited about at the Port Charlotte Church, it's not lying. Amen? All right. Lots of good stuff happening. There's a reason why Wave was so excited when he got up here this morning. Because there's a lot to be excited about. Amen? All right. Let's transition to our message and let's have a word of prayer before we do. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. It's him that we desire to lift up. And Lord, we want to learn how to be more thankful. And so Lord, we pray that you would teach us this today. And you would draw our minds to realizing that really in the Christian life, there really isn't anything else except thank you. And so, Lord, we pray for your guidance. We pray for your spirit to be here as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a society that wants quick fixes. Now, you might be thinking, no way, I'm a patient person. Well, then why do you get so mad at your phone when it doesn't load the next page? Why do you get mad at the fast food line when uh, you're waiting too long for your food? <laughs> we want quick fixes. We want immediate results. We expect fast service. We, uh, we believe that getting what we want is not a privilege, but a right. We've become that kind of a society. I get what I want because it's what I deserve as opposed to what I work for or what someone has blessed me with. And it's created some toxic things in us. We live in a society where you can become famous simply by being on social media. It used to be that you had to work for it to become you know, an actor, an actress, or a musician, or, or something. You had to pay your dues. Now you can be on social media. Some of the most famous social media moguls are the richest and most famous people in the entire world. And they just knew how to work the system on social media. You didn't even have to have any skills. You just, other than knowing how to use social media. We want quick fixes. But you know, this is not a new issue. It's been around since the beginning of time, and we saw it in our video, our children's video of the 10 lepers, and I want to take you back there to that story in Luke 17. So if you want to turn there with me to Luke 17, we're going to read that again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke 17 in verse 11. couple significant things here. Luke 17 and verse 11 that are kind of setting details that people might not pick up on. Verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria was filled with what kinds of people? Samaritans, and they were hated by the Jews who lived in Galilee. So these guys are kind of living on the border. And likely what this is, is a leper colony. In those days when you were when you had leprosy or skin diseases that resembled leprosy, they were afraid of how contagious it might be. God has a lot of instructions in the Old Testament for the Israelites on how to deal with skin diseases because, and all diseases because it was so infectious and people lived so close together. And so here, uh, there's this leper colony, and it's probably, no, we, not probably, it's made up of both Jews and Samaritans. 
They're all living together in the same place, taking care of each other and providing community. Isn't it interesting in our human nature, we'll find people to be around who can love us and care for us, no matter what our situation is. Verse 12, and he entered a village, and he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, he saw that he had been healed, and he turned back. He said, and he was praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was... A Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed, we're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you what? Well. Now, interesting, I heard somebody say whole. That's also a correct translation. Did you notice the difference there? Nine were cleansed, but one was made whole or made well. Did you see that? What was the difference? What was the difference between the one that was made whole or made well and the other nine who were just simply cleansed? It was thankfulness. He was thankful. He was a Samaritan. And one of the big issues in the culture of that day is the Jews sort of felt like God was obligated to bless them. They had the law, they had the prophets, they had obedience, they, had, they did things the way that they thought they should be done, and because their mindset was based on works, it was based on deeds, it was about avoiding this and doing that, it was all about action, it was almost as if their faith had become as if God owed them something. That's why Jesus in other places says, you know, I haven't come for those that are healthy, I've come for those that are sick. I haven't come for those that, that have got it all together. I've got it for those that know they don't. And that's good news for us. I know some of you. That was supposed to be funny. We're all messed up. That's the point. We're all a mess in many ways. And those of us that recognize it, when we know that God has intervened, what does it create in us? Thankfulness, doesn't it? Now, the difference between the other nine, the other nine may have been all Jews. And the reason that they have to go to the priest is because the priest was the one who would banish you from society and diagnose your skin disease, saying, no, you got to go live in the leper colony. You go live with them outside. You won't, you won't get anybody else sick. So they had to go to the priest. Now, the interesting thing is, is this guy is a Samaritan. He's not a Jew. He very likely would have been shunned by people as he's walking toward the temple to see the priest and may have not even been seen by the priest, depending on the mood of the priest of that day. He's a Samaritan, a hated Samaritan. And here he's the one that Jesus chooses because he knows, he knows that he's thankful, whereas others think God owes them healing. You might be thinking, well, I would, never, I would never think that. Why would I think God owes me anything? Oh, we do, though, don't we? When times get tough, Lord, I, I pray every day. Lord, I, I, I avoid certain things. Lord, I, I, I return my tithe and I give my offerings to the church, and now there's this calamity that falls on me. Why are you doing this to me? You know what that is? That's that old, legalistic, short-sighted, making God fit inside our own head mindset. God does not owe us anything, but he's already given us everything. Did you, did you hear what I just said? God owes us nothing. There's a lot of people that are atheists in this world because they think that it's proof that God doesn't exist, that there's bad stuff that happens in this world. Now, that doesn't disprove God's existence at all. God could be a scoundrel. He could be a bad God. Isn't that right? So the fact that bad stuff exists doesn't disprove God's existence. It just might mean, one, you don't understand what's going on. 
and you're mad at God. You can't be mad at God and not believe in him at the same time. Do I need to repeat that? You can't be angry with God and not believe in him at the same time. If you're angry with God, you know there's someone up there and you're, you, can't, you can't reconcile what's happening in your life. The other group of people, you know, God's kind of inconvenient to their lifestyle, so they would rather not believe in God. But the fact of the matter is, this is a Samaritan who was probably cut off from going to the temple anyway. So he turns back to the one who healed him, and he's thankful. He's thankful. But what's, what's the deal with the other nine? What was their intention? I'm, Jesus has cleansed me, wahoo, now I get to go back to the priest. The priest will clear me, and I can return to society. They got their quick fix, didn't they? They got their fix, and then they moved on with their lives. And boy, don't we do that every single day. How many times do we actually stop and thank God for all of the things he does in our lives? We seldom do it. We go on through the motions of life. We, we receive blessings and we just move on and forget about what God has done. We don't stop and thank him. You see, you can be cleansed, but it's thankfulness that makes us whole. It's thankfulness that gets us through the tough times. Because you know, when, when calamity comes, and I have to say this about my life, I don't know about you, but I have to say this about my life. When hardship comes and it gets me down and I start to doubt God, I know it's because I haven't been thankful enough before that calamity came. You following me? Because if I've built up my thankfulness muscles, when the hard times come, it's not as dire for me. Because thankfulness rules the day even when hard times come. So if we find ourselves down and doubting God in the hard times, it's because we haven't built up our spiritual muscles ahead of time with thankfulness. The Bible talks about it in many places. In Isaiah, it says, you're like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. And it's a thankfulness, an acknowledgement, a, a, a knowing that God doesn't change. And just because I don't understand what's happening in the moment doesn't mean he's any different or he's treating me any different than he ever did. Because he can't. Because he doesn't change. He does not change. So building up these thankfulness muscles is so important because this world is going to throw garbage at us. It's going to throw hardship at us. It's going to be difficult sometimes. And we need to practice thankfulness because this thankfulness, really, when you think about it, is there anything else in the life of a Christian than thankfulness? I mean, really. You, well, obedience. But what is true obedience? What is it? Some of us have this idea that I obey in order for God to bless me. If I don't obey, God won't bless me. That's what some of us think. If I don't live a certain way, I can't be blessed. If I don't do this or do that, God will remove our blessing. That is legalistic, anti-Christian thinking. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He already gave us everything we ever needed. He already did everything that was possible to save us. Already. So in the life of a Christian, what's left other than thank you? Thank you. And obedience, obeying God and doing what he says, comes from a heart of what? Thankfulness. God, you've done so much for me. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Obviously, if you're asking this of me, I know that you always have my best interest in mind. So whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it because I trust you. And, and I want to be thankful for what you've done. That's it. There's really nothing else in the life of a Christian. Thankfulness. If you never prayed another prayer other than thank you, Jesus, that would be enough. 
Thank you, Jesus, for getting me through this hardship. Thank you, Jesus. You know how we pray over our food? You know, that, that whole thing, you know, if you don't pray over your food, it can't be cleansed. There's some people that say, well, if you pray over, over pork, it cleanses the pork and makes it okay. I mean, it, it's just kind of funny thinking. And that, that mindset came from the time where they were sacrificing food to idols. And, and, and Paul's like, well, you know, if it makes you feel better, pray over the food and it cleanses the food and it'll be blessed now. We don't, we don't ask God to cleanse our food or bless our food in my house. We pray over the food and thank Jesus for providing the food on our table. There really is nothing else in this world, in this Christian life, other than thank you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've provided me. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for me. It's about thankfulness. And, you know, thankfulness is one of the things that has escaped us in our have-it-now, quick-fix society. We use the word thank you so much when we're thankful to our parents for teaching us to say thank you, but the problem is it just becomes words. You know, it's polite to hear children say thank you when someone does something nice for them. But you know how you can, be say, you can say a word so many times over and over it loses all meaning? I think that's what we've done with thank you. It's just something you say to be polite. But you know the word thank you has some serious meaning behind it. Or it did at one time. Thank you in English is derived from the original think. Think. In other words, when you say thank you, you are saying, I will remember this. I'll remember this. Thank you. I'll remember what you've done for me. Instead, we say thank you left and right. Some of you were, for, were uh, perplexed when I did my sermon on truth, truthfulness. Talked about how deeply our human nature goes and how often we just mislead each other and lie and cover things up and just for the sake of functioning in society it's what we do how are you oh i'm great no you're not great why'd you say you're great we do the same thing with thank you oh thank you and we thank you thank you thank you thank you for this thank you for that but when we say thank you we're actually saying i'll remember this now how many of us when somebody does something nice for us we say thank you do we actually intend to remember what they've done We say it to the pizza guy when he brings our pizza to the door. I'll remember this. No, you won't. You're going to go eat your pizza and forget the guy's face. In other languages, thank you means I am in your debt. I mean, are we in the debt of the pizza guy? No, I paid him. He didn't... He had to bring my pizza. Right? So we, we throw these words out. I'm in your debt. But boy, when we apply this to God, isn't it true? Lord, thank you. I'll remember this, what you've done. Lord, thank you. I'm, I'm in your debt, God. So we say thank you to God when, for a blessing, but then when the hardship comes, what do we forget to do? Be thankful. Because thank you means I'm in your debt. I'll remember this. And then when hard times come, what's the first thing we do? We forget. So we lied when we said thank you to God. Does this sound personal at all? should be because it's personal for all of us. This is, this is human nature. This is what we do. In French, in French, the word for thank you is merci. Merci comes from mercy. You've shown me a mercy. I acknowledge that you've been merciful to me. By doing something for me. Other languages. In Spanish, it is gracias. Gracias comes from the Latin gratias agere, which is the same root where in English we get the word grace. Grace. So you've been gracious to me. Gracias means You've been gracious to me. Boy, we don't use it like that, do we? We just throw thank you out there like it means nothing. But the, but the Apostle Paul says we need to be thankful in all things. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be thankful for what God has done. Why? I don't think we really recognize or remember what God has actually done for us. Think about this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the whole world, not just the Christians, not just those that lived their lives the right way, not just those that would accept him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5 says, while we were still sinners, before we were perfect, before we knew anything, before we even knew God, before we knew how to obey, Jesus died for us. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Creation itself was an act of grace. God knew what human beings would do if he created them. He knew we would turn our backs on him. He knew we would sin. He knew it would cost him his son. But he created us anyway. Can you imagine that? The very fact that he said, let there be light, was an act of grace. Before we ever earned it, or before we ever even knew his name, he poured out his life for us. That should evoke a kind of thankfulness that's beyond words, beyond anything we can even put into human language. 1 Corinthians, let's turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul has some powerful, powerful words here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. You got it? 1 Corinthians 5, 17. There is no 17. What are we doing here? <laughs> Let me see. Oh, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's what the problem was. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We got it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Do you deserve to be a new creation? Do you deserve it? No. You don't deserve to have a new life. You deserve the one you had. Actually, you don't even deserve the one you had because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So what do you deserve? When people ask me how I'm doing, once in a while I say, well, I'm better than I deserve. To be alive is to be better than we deserve. So not only do we not deserve to be a new creation, we don't even deserve to be alive. The fact that you were alive and your heart is beating in your chest is proof that God's grace is covering your life. Talk about being thankful. We don't deserve to be a new creation, but when we come to Christ, the Lord says the old has passed away and the new has come. You are alive in Jesus, a new creation. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling just the really good people to himself. Just those that knew how to obey just right. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Think about this, my friends. Is there ever anything that you can ever do that will remove the grace of God from your life? Never. Never. Say it with me. There is nothing I can do that will ever make God remove his grace from my life. If I don't do this, God can't love me or accept me. If I don't do that, God can't. Baloney, it's garbage. This idea of saying God's going to remove his grace from my life if I disobey him, it's not true. God's grace was on you before you ever even knew him. That, by the way, is the way that you did come to know him. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. Stop this stuff when I found the Lord. The Lord found you. 
When I came to Jesus, no, 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 no. Jesus was always there. You just weren't paying attention. God did it all. He always has done it all. You might be saying, what about the lost at the end? Not everyone goes to heaven. Yeah, that's true. But that's because they've chosen to be lost. It's not that God has somehow now removed his, his love from them or his blessings on them. He's just giving them what he, they are asking for. That's what the judgment is all about. It's about free will. God won't force salvation on anyone. And there will come a time when people who say, no, I don't want it. God will say, unfortunately, that's what I have to give you. You don't want it? That's what you get, what you've chosen. So when we talk about God's blessings, we talk about being saved. My friends, we were saved before the world ever started. We were saved. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The plan of salvation was already in place before the world ever began. We were saved. I got saved on such and such a date. No, no, no. You got saved before the world ever began. And then God paid the credit card bill when Jesus died on the cross. We were saved before the foundation of the world. Talk about being thankful. The very breath that flows through our lungs should be breaths of praise and joy. God has been so, so good to us. And we even get this idea. Okay, so I accept that Jesus is my Savior. I accept him. Almost as if a transaction is taking place. I accept that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Therefore, now I'm a Christian. Friends, accepting doesn't get you anything that you already didn't have. Accepting just means, I believe that. I acknowledge that. Thank you, Jesus. It's not saying, okay, the Lord's not standing over here with a gift in his hand saying, okay, come over here and receive this, this grace. Well, wait a second, my heart's beating in my chest. The way you just in his death, I've, his grace is already on me. Isn't that true? You don't get something he hadn't already given you. When you accept or receive Christ as your savior, all you're doing is saying, I accept the fact that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I accept the fact that the only reason I'm alive is because God has poured out his grace on my life. I accept the fact that I've come to the point where I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross and I know God led me there and I see that Jesus is my savior. I accept this. It's not saying I accept this. It's saying, oh, I can't believe it. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. We have this mindset in the Christian church, when I found God, as if you went there to find him, as if he was hiding. When I accepted Christ, and it sort of puts a badge of honor, almost as if we deserve the salvation that comes in believing in Jesus. But when you realize it's been him all along, and it always has been him, and it always will be him, the only response from a Christian, the only thing that's left is, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you for what you've always done for me and are doing for me now and will continue to do for me throughout the rest of my life and throughout all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Stopping to be genuinely thankful is what makes us whole. See, those other nine lepers wanted a quick fix. Well, great, we're cleansed. See, we got what we wanted. We're cleansed. Let's go back to the priest and he'll declare us clean and then we'll go on about our lives. And how many times do we take God's blessings for granted? He blesses us and we just go on about our lives. It's not what makes us whole. What makes us whole is living a lifestyle of thankfulness. Day by day, moment by moment, being thankful for what God has done. What if we stopped and thanked God more? Some of us need to set timers. I think I'm one. You set it to, some people do this with their prayer life. Did you know that? They actually set a timer during the day. There's apps on your phone that can help you do this. You set times to pray. You set times to talk to God or say thank you. 
Because I think we need to do this more. We need to build up these thankfulness muscles because there's too much garbage in this world and it's going to affect us sooner or later. So we need to build up our thankfulness and our graciousness to the Lord, not as if he's going to create a transaction. Okay, you, you, you thank me this much, so I'll help you that much. That's not how it works. He's thanked us as much as he can, or he's given us already more than what we deserve, more than what we need. He's provided for us beyond our imagination and our thankfulness gets us through the hard times and God comes in and blesses us and it helps us get through. We have a harder time with the big things because we don't thank him enough for the small things. Isn't that true? We go about our day. We go, out about our, we go through the motions. We go on living our lives and we don't stop and say thank you to the Lord for the small things. So when the big things hit us, we're not ready for them. When the big things, the calamities, the hardships, they hit us, we're not ready for them because we didn't stop and, and build up this attitude, this lifestyle of praise, remembering what God has always done. And we need to stop and be, remember who God is. One of the reasons we're not thankful enough is because we don't stand in awe of him enough. People say, well, I don't like the idea of being afraid of God. Friends, He's not your grandpa up in the sky with a quarter. Here, Sonny. That's not what... God is fire. He's spirit. He's glory. He's righteousness. He's goodness. As C.S. Lewis says, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. And what a better phrase could you ever pay? He's not tame, but he's good. He is beyond the comprehension of mere mortals. We were made by him. We cannot comprehend him. He is glory. He is his power. He's spirit. He's righteousness. He's holiness. He's, he's justice. He's mercy. That's who he is. He's not bound to physical form like you and I are. He is God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's beyond our imagination. He owes us nothing. He's dependent upon nothing. He doesn't need us. But he has chosen to act for our benefit time and time and time again. We don't stand in awe of him enough. We don't think of his power and glory and just be astounded and a little bit afraid. It's okay when you think about a being that is all-powerful. You know, when you, as soon as, okay, I got to take my coat off for this one. When you start using human language for God, you've already made him too small. You recognize that, don't you? Because when you say powerful, the word power is, is only as big as your own mental understanding of the word power. Are you with me? So when you say power, it's only as big as your mind can think of power. But God is infinitely more powerful than your conception of power. This is the kind of God that's up there and we say heaven as if we can understand what that means. God's realm is so beyond our comprehension that he has chosen to use words like golden streets. He, you know, when he spoke to the, the biblical authors, he had to come up with words and concepts that they could understand so they could write it down so that we could understand. So when scripture says, I have not seen nor ear heard what God has in store for us, that's because the conception of God and where he lives and what heaven is going to be like is only confined to human language and our concept of what those words mean. We make God way too small. Way too small. We make God wimpy. Even when you say he's all-powerful, that is an, not an insult, but you understand what I'm saying. It, it, does, it pales in comparison to what it means that God is all-powerful. As soon as you begin to use human words, already you've, we've made him too small. But that's all we have, so that's what we use. We take it for granted that God is a supreme being 
One who is beyond the comprehension of human minds, who is not confined to human form, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, omnipresent, all-wise, merciful, gracious, and He cares about us. Imagine a supreme being who is all-powerful, all-powerful, caring about these little, tiny people on this little speck of a planet out there in the corner of this enormous universe. Oh, by the way, that he can measure with the span of his hand, as Isaiah says. It takes hundreds of millions of light years just to get to the next galaxy in our universe. We don't really even comprehend the size of our universe. It's enormous doesn't even describe it. The sun is 93 million miles away. When you look at a picture of a rendering of, of our galaxy, you don't even see us because we're too small. And that's just the Milky Way galaxy. And there are hundreds of millions of other galaxies. Think about this for a second. And when scientists say light years, what they mean is, how long would it take light to get from point A to point B? And when they talk about other galaxies and how far away they are, they're talking about hundreds of millions of light years. It would take light, something traveling at the speed of light, hundreds of millions of years just to get to nearby galaxies. Are you beginning to understand this? And there's hundreds of millions of galaxies. And Isaiah says, God can measure it all with the span of his hand. That's ah, all about that big. He is powerful. He is glorious. He is awe-inspiring. He is beyond words. And yet we forget to thank him. We, for, we, we make our problems so big as if it's bigger than what God can handle. We act as if he owes us something sometimes. And he's already poured out all the blessings of heaven to us. And then we make him into a, I can say this without it ruining the holiday for some people, make him into a Santa Claus type character. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, as if God is up there in heaven just waiting for you to do something wrong. Friends, before the foundation of the world, he was the lamb slain. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those, that, that terminology doesn't apply. It might apply to Santa Claus, but it doesn't apply to God because God isn't waiting for you to mess up. He knew you would mess up, so he saved you. And he poured out his grace and mercy on you before you ever even knew him. The God that can measure the entire universe with the span of his hand gave his son to die for you and me before we ever knew his name. If we realize just how good he is to us day in and day out, we would never obey out of worry or fear. We wouldn't worry if we we're perfect, that he was going to remove his blessings. We would celebrate this wonderful verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to take you to two more verses. One is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Matthew 5, 45. Look at this. Who does God bless and whose life does God work in? Matthew 5.45. Actually, let's begin in verse, um, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just 
and the unjust. There is nobody living in this world that is not receiving the blessings of heaven. Some of us don't want to admit it. Some of us refuse to say thank you. But he blesses everybody. And it's sort of like with Pharaoh. We've heard this analogy before. Um, Some people, God's blessings harden because they don't want to admit and say thank you. They want to They want to persist in their stubbornness and their rebellion. So God's blessings, the same kinds of acts that he does on us that melt our hearts. Some people are like clay in the sun. Other people are like ice in the sun. Same sun shining. Same beams coming down. But for some reason in stubbornness, some people harden. But other people melt. I want it to melt me. The beams from the sun, I want them to melt me so that I can be eternally and completely thankful. God isn't good and bad. Say that with me. God isn't good and bad. God is all good. God is all good. And He doesn't change. One more verse. Hebrews chapter 12. It's incredibly important. We're going to close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26. Hebrews 12, 26. So again, you know, the book of Hebrews is written largely to a Jewish audience. And in the Jewish culture, they constantly were reminding themselves of what God has done over the years and led them. And the author of Hebrews is sort of unpacking a lot of that and the the worship that they enjoyed and the sanctuary and what it means now in the context of being a Christian. And uh, one of the things that they looked forward to was the promised land, living there unimpeded, without enemies or hardships. And this is what this is what the I believe the, the Apostle Paul to be saying here. And he's reminding them of that land, and he says something very powerful, verse 26. And at this time his voice shook the earth. But now he is promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. In other words, the Lord is gonna go like this to the world. And what he's going to do is, every, it's sort of like a, a colander. And there's sand in there. And all the sand is all the bad stuff in our world. And he's going to shake it. It's going to sift its way out. And the only thing that's going to be left are all the good things. This is what it's, verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may What? Remain, therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be what? Grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. My friends, the God of heaven has given us his son. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. He's poured out His grace on our lives. There is nothing more that's needed in order for us to be saved and to be a citizen of His kingdom. And what what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, He's a consuming fire. There is nothing that's more powerful than Him. There is nothing that's more glorious than Him. And what He's going to do is shake out all the bad stuff in this universe, and the things that are from Him will remain forever. Forever they will stand the test of eternity. Forever. So yes, we may face hardship. Yes, we may face trials and tribulations. But my friend, life wins. We lose people we love, but it's not forever. We lose things that we love. And sometimes we need to lose things that we love. But the good stuff will remain forever because our God is an all-consuming fire and nothing can remove His promises from us. Nothing. We lose things in this world. We face trials and tribulations. 
But my friends, the thing that stands the test of eternity is an unchanging God in heaven who has already poured out his blood and his grace and his love and is pleading for us. Believe in the things that are eternal. Believe in them. Be thankful for what I've already done. I've proved to you that eternal life is true. I've proven to you that the good things will last forever. Just say thank you. Acknowledge it. Paul said we should live that life of gratitude. Because that's what reminds us that God doesn't change. That's what reminds us that those good things will stand the test of eternity. That's what reminds us that weeping may come for a night, but joy comes in the morning. An attitude of gratitude. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. What else is there in the life of a Christian? Really, if you think about it, it's all there is. What makes us love God it's what makes us obey God. And it's what proves to us that the good things, the really good things that come from Him are going to stand the test of eternity. Really, it's just about gratitude. So my appeal to you today is, if things aren't too bad for you right now, build up your thankfulness muscles. Stop and look around day by day, and say thankful for all that you've been given by God. Because before too long, some hardship is going to come. And we need to carry that thankfulness from the times when they're not too bad into the times that are a trouble. Because it's remembering what God has, how God has been so good in the past that gets us through the times when things aren't so good. And even when the times aren't so good, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, true confession, sometimes I don't even want to be reminded of the good things when things are bad. Ever had that experience? You just want to stay sad and you want to stay mad. God's coming into our lives and coming into our hearts. And says, yeah, but do you remember that time? your kids. Look at them around you. Remember, remember what happened then? Remember how I delivered? And we go, no! Nope. Shut up, Lord. I don't want to hear that. I want to stay mad. I want to stay depressed. The Lord's saying you're only hurting yourself. Remember. Remember. So, let's start using that word thank you properly. It means, I will remember. Thank you, Jesus, means I will remember Jesus. Gracias means grace. I will remember your grace. Merci means I will remember your mercy. Friends, there's nothing else in the life of a Christian other than thank you, Jesus. Amen.